0: Everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X, and joining me, it is the long-awaited return to Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka. If y'all love him enough, go ahead and get him John Morant's All-Star jersey. How you doing today, Ethan?
1: I'm good. And it's funny that you say that because literally after we record, I'm going to go buy a All-Star jersey.
0: Of course, I mean, it's Jaws' first All-Star game, long time coming. He definitely deserves, and the jerseys do look good. So, hopefully he balls out this upcoming weekend. Speaking of All-Star weekend, of course, we're going to make our predictions for the All-Star game and some of the other activities with regards to the NFL. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl and some of the interesting storylines that have come out afterwards. And then we're going to close out the show giving my predictions for Elimination Chamber, which is taking place this Saturday in saudi arabia but before we get to any of that please sure check out the xreport.net i repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers previous episodes of our lovely podcast on our youtube channel entitled the x report so speaking of sports content rooted, written by us. This past week, I wrote my first official mock draft of the offseason. Very excited about it, and it's definitely a labor of love. So, with that on the brain, Ethan, I know that it's very early in the draft process, but you're looking at the Titans, they're on the board. Either give me the top player you want them to draft, or at least what position you feel like they have to hit in the first round.
1: Um, I think I can't really go player because I haven't really been looking at um, drafts, anything related the past couple of weeks. But I will say positionally, I think I am going to go with cornerback still. And the reason I'm saying this is because, yes, Christian Fulton has shown the potential to be a number one corner. And we drafted Caleb Farley last season and Elijah Molden. But we have I feel like we haven't we still haven't found that solid corner number two. Like we had Jack Rabbit Jenkins last season and he was serviceable, but his age has gotten up to him. He was he it was moments where he got burnt and he just played bad coverage. So I either would say corner or I would honestly say left tackle because Taylor LeWan is older. He's come off a couple of injuries. He's, he finished the season great, but the start of that season, last season, was, well, we know how it started. He gave up, basically gave him five sacks to one player. Um, and I think it's one of those situations to where you might want to make some moves so the future, while you still have room to be successful in the present,
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I had forgotten all about what Chandler Jones had did to him week one until you said that. But, yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, injuries, especially big injuries, are very hard to come back from, especially when you're, like you said, you're getting older and it seems like every year it's always something. So I could definitely see y'all going either position in the first round. As for Baltimore, I'm saying either we need to go offensive lineman, more specifically right tackle, because Alejandro Villanueva has to go or corner. And I mean, this is a draft that has a lot of really good corners in it. Personally, I prefer to go right tackle just because I feel like because there's so much corner depth, we'd be a bit. I think we could find a quality player in the second and third round, not to mention we're getting Marlon Humphrey back and Marcus Peters back. So I could be fine if we didn't go corner at 14, but – offensive linemen i feel like we have to hit that early and often but you can see who i had each first round uh team drafting at the export.net go check it out it's all right there um but speaking of teams that really aren't that focused on the draft right now let's talk about the super bowl where the los angeles rams came back to defeat the Cincinnati Bengals. In, in my opinion, one of the better Super Bowls we've gotten in the past few years, 23-20. to 20. So, Ethan, what would you say are your top three takeaways from this past Super Bowl?
1: Got his flowers and show people that he can make plays to win big games. And I would say number one is that, you know, this. I feel like, if I'm not mistaken, this might be the first super team at least in my opinion, that I can remember. This is the first quote-unquote super team that's actually worked in the NFL. Because we know the NBA it's worked on several occasions. And in the NFL, people have tried to do things similar and they've come up short. So this might be something that they kind of, uh, there might be a trend that pops up in the NFL. Maybe,
0: maybe not. Yeah, and I mean, kind of going back to what you said about super teams, it is Really a rarity I mean we've seen like For example The Patriots in 2007 Like swing big To get Randy Moss And pair him You know With Tom Brady That was At the time A huge move Just considering the quality Of those two players Or I mean you bring Peyton Manning to the Broncos and they have an electrifying offense in 2013, but I'm in agreement with you. I think that this is the first time from top to bottom, you have so many superstars on just one team. Um, For me, first things first, the Cincinnati Bengals, we know how bad their offensive line is, but I think that once you put a great offensive line or not even a great one, just a solid to above-average offensive line in front of Joe Burrow, I think that they will be back in the Super Bowl. Could they make it back next year? Definitely, especially with that offense and that free agency. But I think that if you don't hit on offensive linemen, you're just wasting all the talent that you have on the team. Second, Jalen Ramsey is a very good corner, don't get me wrong. But this past game, he got exposed quite a bit. I mean, he allowed the most yards he allowed all season, um, allowing 160 yards. I mean, don't get me wrong, that touchdown um, to T. Higgins, that should have been a penalty, 100%. But Jamar Chase was getting him. And especially if I'm sure you all have seen the picture by now where Jamar had Jalen Ramsey beat badly on that fourth and one play, but you know, Aaron Donald is a dog and he got to Joe Burrow before he could see it. Um, so yeah, just because of that, considering how much Jalen Ramsey talks, you would expect he wouldn't get beat like this, especially on so many deep balls, but it's the story of life, and then finally. Like you said, Matthew Stafford finally got his flowers. But truthfully, I think that this also gives the flowers to receivers like Cooper Cup, um, Ended up winning Super Bowl MVP. I... He played a great game. Part of me kind of wanted Aaron Donald to get it. But I mean, you can't you can't take it away from Cooper Cup and what he was able to produce. But I think that the tandem of Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup, if they're able to stay together, I think that they can prove to be one of the better wide receiver quarterback duos that we've seen in the past 10 years. But all right, so let's go ahead and move on to some league news. Not with it being the fresh start of the offseason, not too, too much has been coming out. But as we all know, a lot of head coaching changes have taken place um, prior to these all these uh, teams finding head coaches. Nine teams were looking to fill vacancies. So kind of looking at each team and who they decided to hire, Ethan, do you have a favorite and a least favorite hiring?
1: Say this because the team is in my division and they aren't that great. Mm-hmm. But I actually like the Lovey Smith hiring. I know that he he isn't he doesn't carry the same luster that he's had in the past, especially when he was at Chicago. But I think he's a good coach, and I think he's the type of coach that, especially with this Deshaun Watson situation that's going on, if you want to keep him, you want to. Lovey Smith could be a guy that you can use to keep Deshaun Watson in Houston. I like that hire and I'm just I'm honestly just a Lovey Smith fan in general. Um my least favorite hire, I'm gonna be real, I think is Mike McDaniel for the Dolphins. Because I understand that he he fits this like Sean Payton. Young mode of new coach that's young and innovative on offense, but to my, in my opinion, are you gonna be able to re um, implement that same offense in Miami if, that you did in San Fran? Like for one, your run game isn't as strong. Um, you Tua can be
0: at times. I feel like Tua and Jimmy G could be comfortable because they aren't the greatest
1: of quarterbacks, but the weapons around two and the weapons on their offense are very slim. I understand that in San Fran, they really only have two primary weapons in George Kittle and Debo. Brandon think is okay, but in Miami, you only have one. And I understand that you could potentially do the Debo Samuel thing with Jalen Water, but um, I don't think it's going to work in the capability of Debo Samuel because Debo Samuel is a different type of individual.
0: Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I'll also start off with my least favorite. I'm going to say, yeah, I don't love the Mike McDaniels hiring because in the grand scheme of things, you take Debo out of that equation – What about the 49ers offense are you that excited about? Like, George Kittle is great, but I think it's pretty safe to say that the electrifying moments and the highlight moments almost all came from Debo Samuel. And Jalen Waddle is a good player, and we've seen his versatility and his ability to use his quickness to make plays, but still, is he really enough to fill that role? And then you mentioned it before, Jimmy G – and uh, Tua Tagovailoa aren't exactly the best quarterbacks you're ever going to see. But even still, I mean, do you really trust Tua Tagovailoa right now to carry your offense? Especially considering you don't really have that many weapons to play with. I mean, especially because the 49ers, they're a team that is really predicated on their run game. We saw how many running backs they were able to cycle in. Raheem Mostert, when he was healthy, um... Elijah Mitchell when he was healthy, uh, Trey Sermon when he was healthy. However, you look at the run game for Miami, and it's practically non-existent. So with that being said, I don't exactly love this hire. I don't think that he's all of a sudden got to make Miami like this pivotal team. And plus, um, I saw also just social media kind of ruined it for me too because I saw a video of him talking to Tua, and um, the caption was, this man couldn't motivate me to make a ham sandwich. And then after that, it just... It it just ruined it for me. But uh, my favorite hiring, I'm actually going to go with Kevin O'Connell, the Rams offensive coordinator taking the head coaching job for the Vikings. I mean – I think that for the p- past several years, you know, Mike Zimmer was built as this defensive minded coach. But if you look at the Vikings, especially over the last couple of seasons, their biggest problem was their defense. So I think that they might as well play into the strength of having so many offensive weapons and really build with that and then draft quality defensive players or sign quality defensive players and go from there. Cause right now I think that, with so much uncertainty going on with Aaron Rodgers and everything, this is the perfect time for the Vikings to take over. And I think Kevin O'Connell coming off of a Super Bowl, seeing the success that Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup had and just how great that offense was, I'm sure that he's not going to try to backslide in Minnesota. And I think he's going to put those players in great position to do some big things. So that's that's my favorite one. I also like Lovey, too. I don't think that's enough for Deshaun to say truthfully I think with everything that's happened he probably does need a change of scenery and I don't blame him just because I mean a a lot has transpired this past year and honestly I'm sure Houston is like the last place he he'd want to be but all right let's go ahead and play a game of believable or buffoonery As we all know, once the Super Bowl rolls around, it has the players who didn't make it saying a lot of what-ifs. And one of those players is Michael Parsons, who in an interview with Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report said that the Cowboys will be in the Super Bowl by 2024. Believable or buffoonery?
1: Buffoonery. And the reason I'm saying buffoonery is because Football is a, a a weird conundrum because you can have a team that's the better team on paper, but it's any given Sunday. Like, the Cowboys could be a better team heading into the playoffs, but they could lose in the first, second round. I mean, these happened already before, mm-hmm. so that's not surprising. So I'm going to have to say buffoonery. I'm
0: going to say buffoonery, too. I think that... Looking at the next five years, we have to take into account what your run game going to look like because Zeke is going to get older. I love Tony Pollard, but you're still going to have to hit on that. Amari Cooper continuing to get older. Dak Prescott, we really don't even know what Dak Prescott truly is because he was a bit of a letdown this season after starting off pretty well defensively. Trayvon Diggs had a gr- big year. Is he a great corner? No, but I mean, 11 corners, I mean, interceptions, gonna get you looked at. Micah Parsons is probably the only person in the next, on that roster in the next five years. I'm like, oh no, he's gonna be a star. But everybody else, either they're gonna be older, like their offensive line, you're gonna have to try to replenish those positions there. And if he would have said a shorter window, I would have said maybe. But I it think that. Like three years. Yeah. But by five years, so many things can happen. And I don't I I just don't see it. I like Micah though. And I think Micah, you know, has potential to do big things individually. But right now for the Cowboys, I'm not I'm not really buying it. Speaking of not buying it, Kyler Murray Usually, you don't hear much about Kyler, but these past couple of weeks, his name has been in the news heavily. Um, reports came out that um, e, from ESPN's Chris Mortensen that Kyler Murray is frustrated with the Cardinals and embarrassed by the loss. Apparently, Kyler is described as self-centered, immature, and finger pointer, and think that he's been framed as the scapegoat for the Rams' loss to—I mean, the Cardinals' loss to the Rams in the wild card round of the playoffs. Hence, all this really came out. After Kyla Murray had deleted all mentions of the Cardinals from his social media and of course, he took to social media to say that those things weren't true and everybody around him knows that he's a leader. But let's look back at his stats from that wild card game. It was 19-34 passing, just 137 passing yards, um, and through two interceptions, including that pick six before halftime. So, Ethan, believable or buffoonery, is Kyler Murray being used as a scapegoat for the Cardinals' playoff loss?
1: No. I mean, you just stated the stats. Um Men live, women live, but numbers don't. And Kyle Murray, he has the potential to be one of the most dynamic players, let alone quarterbacks, in the NFL. But in that game he played so far, and when you play so far, you lose. It's just that, in my opinion, it's just that simple.
0: Yeah, and he subpar is putting it really nicely. He had a terrible game. And you never want to have your worst game of the season in the playoffs, but that's precisely what he did. So it's weird for the whole scapegoat there. It'd be one thing if he had a good game, but just because he's the quarterback, everybody puts the loss on him. Like, for example, if – It was like a Joe Burrow situation, like them losing the Super Bowl. Joe Burrow had a fine game, but because he's the quarterback, everybody's like, oh, the Bengals lost because of him. That will be a scapegoat situation. But Kyler Murray made numerous plays to put them in bad positions. Like, don't get me wrong, their defense really didn't do them any favors either. They had a bad game as well. But realistically, I'm not – I'm not really buying that. Kyler Murray definitely played his role in in that loss. But speaking of somebody who's feeling like a winner, Aaron Donald, who before the game, Rodney Harrison of NBC Sports said that Aaron Donald said if he was to win the Super Bowl this year, he could walk away. And not only did he walk away as a winner, but he made what was the game winning play. We all love Aaron Donald, only eight years in the league, but he's already a three-time Um, defensive player of the year, holds multiple sack records, and I think it's safe to say over the past several years, he was considered the best defensive player in the league. Um, When he was asked about it following the game, he said that he just wanted to enjoy the moment with his family and his teammates, which is all great and dandy, but believable or buffoonery, Aaron Donald is going to retire.
1: I think it's buffoonery. I think that, as you saw in their uh, Super Bowl parade, Rashawn and was saying, hey, let's run it back. And he said, if we can get the super team back together, then I'll, I'll think about it. I think if they're able to find a way to keep the same exact roster, I don't think he's going to retire. Because the thing about winning and winning championships is, it's a great quote by Tom Brady. When I asked him, and I don't, you know how I feel about Tom Brady. But they always, they asked him, what was his favorite ring? And he said, the next one. And that's the same thing. that I feel like that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen with Aaron Donald. Because he's still a, he's not to the same level of dominance as he was in prior years. But he's still a great player. And he's a generational player. So I think he's going to run. If they can find a way to keep the same roster intact, he's going to resign and play another year at least.
0: I I agree with the caveat of if they can find a way to get the roster back, but I think that – I hate to say this, but I think that with the injury to Odell, they'll be able to bring him back probably on like a veteran's discount. Um, I think the hard – biggest question is going to be if they're going to be able to bring back Von Miller, just because, you know, Von Miller could go anywhere and make a whole bunch of money. And so – Is he coming back? I don't know. You know, Jalen Ramsey's coming back. Matthew Stafford's still on the contract. Cooper Cup. So, most of the pieces of the team will be back. So, I could see that being a motivating factor. But it's kind of like, because I was having this conversation with somebody about this yesterday. It was like, but with Aaron Donald, it's like, you have literally nothing else to prove. Like, you have your ring. You're Leading so many categories in sacks Like you're the most feared Defensive player in the league And mind you this is just your 8th season I don't know how old is Aaron down Like 30 if that Like, exactly. So you're still young You still have your health And he could do Anything else he go to Marshawn Lynch round, just being a whole bunch of commercials I mean he's in LA so the opportunity Is going to be there I mean he has And he's going out on top so I could totally see him deciding to retire, but I just think that at some point he probably would get bored and want to come back. And so I think they just cut out the middleman and plays at least one more year. So I'm calling buffoonery too. But all right, last piece. This is referring to Matthew Stafford, who following the Super Bowls, Stephen A. Smith said this performance solidified Matthew Stafford as a future Hall of Famer, which had quite a few people split on that sentiment on the one hand uh, Julian Edelman said 50k pass yards Super Bowl his first year with a capable team give this man his flowers he's a Hall of Famer arm talent is some of the best we've ever seen on the other hand Richard Sherman took to Twitter to said, I'm gonna talk about it on my podcast but Hall of Fame bars incredibly no now like a participation trophy no all decade team no all pro no MVP one Pro Bowl not even MVP at the Super Bowl never considered the best in any year he played at least Matt Ryan and has an MVP. So, believable or buffoonery, Matthew Stafford will be a Hall of Famer.
1: Uh, I'm actually in agreement, agreement with Richard Sherman. I think that the thing that has played Matthew Stafford in maybe his Hall of Fame case has been the team that he played for for so many years of his own career, the Detroit Lions. Because he was on, he was a great player on a mid, a bad to average team that didn't win anything. And like Richard Sherman stated, he he only had one Pro Bowl in his career and he was never considered the best quarterback. And I know that he has like these, uh, he has some really good numbers. But one of the things is like, they're going to look at his overarching career. Like you, Think about it. He's in the same he's in the same career field with Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees for an extent, Phillip Rivers, um, um Peyton. And it's like those guys, they had amazing numbers and they were winners. And he was he was a it's kind of the equivalent to like in the NBA where you have a guy that averages thirty, but their team isn't good. And I feel like that's what a majority of Matthew Stafford's career was. So I'm going to have to say
0: buffoonery. I'm also calling buffoonery. Like, don't get me wrong. I love me some Matthew Stafford, Lions apologist. But like Richard Richard Sherman said, like, aside from this year, he really didn't have any accolades. Like, he would be in the hall of very good, but what had he done to really put himself among the greatest to ever step foot on a football field? And even including this year, I don't really see – I don't see him making it. And like, I know you mentioned, you know, the Lions and who he played for. That's very true. But Calvin Johnson was on that same terrible Lions team. But you his talent shone shined over everybody else's. So you may get be getting passes and playing for all these other teams, but I'm just genuinely better than you. And Matthew Stafford has not had a point in his career when you can just say he's genuinely been better than anybody. Could he get there? Yes, yeah, sure. I feel like if he leads the Rams to another playoff run, then you'll definitely have that conversation because then, I mean, it's like, well, is Matthew Stafford better than Eli Manning? And I would say yes. I would say yes before the Super Bowl, honestly. But if he was able to get another one, that would really solidify it for me. But as of right now, no, I don't think Matthew Stafford is a Hall of Famer. But, I mean, he's a Super Bowl champion, so I'm sure he's – Right now, that's more important to him anyway. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. Starting with Ethan, what are your top three takeaways from this past week of action?
1: Top three takeaways are um, the trade deadline was entertaining, obviously. But I think that the Brooklyn Nets, they have a new vigor about themselves after the trade deadline. I think that the Boston Celtics have finally found their groove. And I think that um, the Warriors, they've hit these really rough patches. And I think potentially getting Draymond back hopefully after the All-Star break will be the biggest thing that helps their season.
0: I feel you on that. All right, let's pick our Mamba Players of the Week, starting out of that Eastern Conference for me. This I was going back and forth between this guy and somebody else, but in the end, I gotta show love to Demar Derozan. I mean, just this past week, he's genuinely been on, been on a tear. Last night, dropped thirty eight six and six against the Kings. Night before, got revenge against the Spurs, forty three and seven. Um, OKC thirty eight six and five. I mean, just been an offensive menace this past week of action. It's been so much fun to watch. And I think that I know we talk about Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine who are also great players on the Bulls as well. But truthfully, uh DeMar DeRozan has really been the main attraction in Chicago and I think they really go as far as he takes them.
1: Yeah, I'm also in agreement with DeMar DeRozan. Um this man has the second most thirty point game since consecutive 30-point games in Bulls' history only behind the great Michael Jordan. That's saying something when your name is in the same company as Michael. And, um, yeah, like, he... And the thing that's so amazing about what he's doing is is he's doing it regardless of situation. Like, if he has Zach Levine and uh, Nikola Vucevic, he still get his 30 and he affects winning. If one of those guys are injured or both of those guys are injured... He still does his thing. He affects winning. So, I got to go with DeMar
0: as well. Moving on to my Western Mamba of the Week. Speaking of affecting winning, I'm going Nikola Jokic in Denver. I know this isn't exactly the best year that Denver could ever ask for, but the reason why they continue to be in games, the reason why they are a hard team to count out, is because of Nikola Jokic. I mean, really has just been playing amazing and playing at kind of an MVP level. I recently saw something from uh, ESPN where it was like right now he and uh, Joel Embiid are atop the MVP conversation, and they have every right to me. I mean, they are two incredibly talented players, but just seeing what Nikola Jokic has been able to do time and time again, I mean, he's just he's just been a dominant force that it doesn't seem like anybody's been able to figure out.
1: I guess we two for two because my mama player of the week is also Nikoli Um, I mean, you even take the game last night where he put up a monster game and he made the clutch game, game-winning game assist. I know a lot of people want their star players to take the game-winning shot, but he made the right play and that shows, that's a tribute to his skill set and just how talented he is. So I got to go Nicole as well.
0: All right, so I don't know if we're going to go 3 for 3 with the rookie Mamba, but this is the first time I'm picking this young man. I'm going Josh Giddy out of Oklahoma City. I mean, these past 3 games, he has averaged a triple-double. Um last night against the Spurs, 17, 10 and 10. Against the Knicks, he went off in the uh at Madison Square Garden, 28, 11 and 12, and then the game before that against the Bulls, 11, 12 and 10. I know that right now we, we talk about other rookies like Evan Mobley and K. Cunningham and Scotty Barnes much more than we talk about Josh Giddy, but I mean he has been doing so many great things over this past week of action he definitely deserves his recognition
1: yeah I initially was going to go Cam Thomas but I gotta go on Josh Giddy as well like you stated he he been putting up triple doubles and I feel like in this day and age the triple the triple double is a over a overly saturated stat. I mean we had Westbrook who's averaging two trooper double for like four straight seasons mm-hmm. at one point. So people are kinda like they don't find the value in it. But it's one of those things to where if you're able to affect the game that way in a multitude of ways, you gotta get some flowers. And can like so I gotta go Josh. Get it. Cam Thomas, you are a close, close second though, especially after last night.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%. I'm a really big fan of what Cam Thomas has been able to do, and I think that with Harden gone, he's going to get a lot more opportunities. But all right, so let's go ahead. The NBA trade day line was exactly a week ago, and quite a few moves took place. So we're going to kind of rapid fire through some of the biggest trades and give our uh, winners and losers of them. So starting at the top, of course, we got to talk about the 76ers and the Nets Uh, 76ers get James Harden and Paul Millsap, while the next get Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, a 2022 first-round pick and a 2027 first-round pick. Winner of the trade, loser of the trade, what are your thoughts?
1: The winner of the trade is the Brooklyn Knicks because, for one, you've you got the key piece that you wanted in Ben Simmons, but you also received two really solid pieces with Ben Simmons and Seth Curry, because I feel like Seth Curry, with everyone healthy, he him is either going to be him or Joe Harris as the starting shooting guard, and Seth Curry is a guy that can they have they can easily get you 20 on a given night, and then you have Andre Drummond, who yes he's had some bald headed moments in his time in the league, but he's a very solid center whether you start him or you bring him off the bench. I think they personally, I don't, I think they're starting him now, and I think that they should because he he helps with that one thing that they've always left since, like, having their team together, which is actual size. Like, yes, they brought in LaMarcus Aldridge, but LaMarcus Aldridge is, has always been a power forward, and he got switched to the center because of the way in which you play. But um, Andre Drummond is a true big Like, he's a guy that all you really have to expect out of him is to set screens, get rebounds, and roll to the basket, and that's something that they need. And they also received two draft picks, so I have to go with the the Nets as the winner as far as feeling and losing. I think that this is one of those things to where James Harden is a great player. But James Harden, people are kind of agreeing this is like, they received James Harden from two years ago. This isn't that same guy. Like, I don't – we know the speculation that his hamstring might not be healthy or it is healthy, whether it is or it isn't. We don't know which James Harden is going to show up. Like, are we getting a motivated James Harden? And there's been a big issue with James Harden is with his teammates is, like, that he kind of just wants to do what he wants to do. And it's like, bro, if you're going to – if you want to a winning situation – with a winning coach in Doc, a winning coach and Rivers, a guy in Joel Embiid who is playing out of his mind and wants to win, you're going to have to fall in line. And these James Harden really going to be capable um to fall in line with those aspirations. And Paul Millsap, he's a nice beef, but I don't like compared to what the Nets received that they, they won that trade.
0: Yeah, and then I mean, you pretty much hit the head nail on the head. And then I'm just gonna add one more piece. I just feel like. In terms of long-term acquisitions, I definitely think that the Nets won out. Because, I mean, James Harden, like you said, he's only getting older. He's not the same player he was a couple years ago. Paul Millsap, I'd be shocked if he played after this season. Whereas looking at the Nets, Ben Simmons is still incredibly young. You get those two first-round draft picks, which is going to help out your team. I mean... That's just something else I would add. All right, moving on to the Mavericks sending um, Christoph Porzingis to the Washington Wizards in exchange for Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertrand. Uh The Wizards will also be getting a 2022 second-round pick. In this instance, I, get, I don't really know if I have a winner. I think that... While it's nice that, you know, the Mavs get another solid guard with uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, David Ber- Davis Bertrands when he was healthy uh, this past season proved to have some solid play about him. But even still, I don't think that those are really going to be any two pieces that are really going to put the um, Mavs over the top. We all know it's the Lucas show, and I just wish that they probably would have done more to actually give him players who were really going to help him get over the hump. And then with regards to the Wizards, I mean, I know that they're, it was either coach or their owner. Uh, was saying that they feel like bringing in Christoph Porzingis and pairing him with Bradley Beal, who unfortunately is going to miss the rest of the season, that's going to be an explosive duo. But I don't think that that's going to be enough to make Bradley Beal want to say, stay. No offense to Christoph Porzingis, but when he said bring in talent, I don't think this is what he meant. So I don't really think this trade has a winner.
1: Yeah, I think this trade is evened out because from the Mavericks aspect, I think. For a top defensive team, at least for the this um early stretch when they had Kristaps, and one of the things that I feel like letting him go um hinders them from is you let go of rim protection. As a Grizzlies fan, I watched the Grizzlies play the Mavs, and they they've been our toughest matchup this whole season. And a big part of it is because you have a seven foot three guy that's mobile in the paint that shuts down the paint. And now that you've gotten rid of that, that's going to be a major – that's going to take a major toll on your team because especially if you make it to the playoffs and you play a team that's relentless and driving, like you're not going to have any shot blockers and people are going to be afraid to go into the paint. And in the sense of Spencer Dinwiddie, he's coming back from an ACL. I know it was the whole thing where people on the Wizards are saying they wanted him gone because he isn't the same player – but the reality of it is is everyone knows that an ACL injury typically takes two years for you to fully get back to being yourself. So this year, he's probably going to look like a shell of himself. And then next year, he's probably going to be a really solid piece for them. But I think that in the sense of trying to find a co-star with Luka, I think having another guard as Luca's co-star is a bad idea simply because Luca is such a ball-dominant player. Like, Luka fits the mold. of you need a, you need him, and you need a big, and they're your two dominant players.
0: Yeah, I feel you on that. All right, moving on to just a couple more trades. This happened before the official day of the trade deadline, but the Trail Blazers traded away C.J. McCullum, Larry Nance Jr., and Tony Snell to the Blazers in exchange for Josh Hart, Nikkela Alexander-Walker, Tomasz Stranskowski, uh, Didi Lazada, a 2022 first round pick, protected a 2026 second round pick, and a 2027 uh, second round pick. I believe Nikel Alexander Walker also was a part of another multi team trade, so he's not actually on the Blazers right now. But you know, the big part of this trade is CJ McCullum going to the um, going to New Orleans. So, how do you like that fit?
1: I think it's It's an interesting fit simply because I feel like they made this move for two reasons. They made this move because they're trying to make it to the play-in this year and it's a win-now move. And they're trying to make this move to potentially make Zion happy and keep him there. I think it's good in the sense of, like, they have talent. But the talent, everything about the talent doesn't mesh well, in my opinion. Like, you have – Devontae Graham, who is a um, a high volume shooter, you have CJ McCollum, who's a high volume shooter. You have Brandon Ingram, who's a high volume shooter. You don't have Zion at the moment. You might not have him for the rest of the season, but you have Jonas Valanciunas, who I watched him here in Memphis. When Jonas doesn't touch the ball, he gets pissed, and he's a guy that you have to get you have to get engaged in your offense to get the best version of him. So you have a lot of guys that can score. You don't have that many role. Play- you don't have that many role players. You don't have that many guys that can defend. So I think it's just it's really interesting. Who like? I think in the off season they might have to make a couple changes. Like I think personally, if you're going to bring if Zion's coming back, you should they should get rid of Giannis. I hate it because I love Giannis from his time here in Memphis. But you can't have two guys that compound the paint together. Because we know Zion isn't a shooter. Yes, Jonas has capability of shooting threes. But he isn't a just like dead-eye shooter. And it's it's just, it's, it's just it's, I think it's just going to need some work. That's the best way to put it.
0: I agree with that. I mean, and this is a team that was already kind of struggling for death anyway. Um, especially with so many moves that they were making and so now again CJ McCollum sure it sounds nice because you get a better upgrade to your guard position but even still I don't think that that's going to exactly put the Pelicans where exactly they want to be they may be in a play-in spot but they're still not a team that I don't think is ready to make the playoffs. Once Zion comes back, I think that this was a move to say, hey, we're we're willing to bring in talent and we're doing this and we're doing that. But, I mean, you and I talked about it off the show, but I don't think that this is exactly something that's going to have him motivated for what the team is trying to do around him. So, yeah, I don't I don't necessarily love it. I kind of wish that Cedar McCollum went to a team that was more playoff ready. Um, A team that you know would definitely have a better shot of making the playoffs because right now the Pelicans are just a fringe playoff team. So well I'm interested to see how it works out. I think that this year since Zion more likely is not going to play it's more so just going to be the Brandon Ingram and CJ McCullum show but losing this much depth is going to hurt them especially down the stretch. But all right, let's go. Continuing on with Zion, a report came out uh, yesterday that said the Pelicans were intrigued by the possibility of pairing AAU teammates Zion Williamson and Ja Moran together back in the 2019 draft. New Orleans had the number one and number four picks entering, and they offered the Grizzlies multiple packages that include the fourth overall pick two for the chance to take Ja at two. Now as a Grizzlies fan I know you're happy that it didn't work out but how do you think that Ja Morant and Zion would coexist in the NBA?
1: I think they would have been like the next great duo because you have Ja who's an an amazing freak athlete but who is a great passer and you have Zion who's a freak athlete. Like I could just see it being very very reminiscent to the Lob City Clippers, mm-hmm. because like, just say you throw Jai, you throw Zion at the four, you get a, a fit, a catch and spin, um, Lob Thread that's a big, and you get two shooters, and you just run it like that. So I think that would have been amazing. I'm incredibly glad that it didn't happen, but you know. I think it would have been exciting
0: for sure. Oh, yeah, it definitely would have been exciting. And I think that, I mean, barring, you know, the injury things that we know from Zion Williamson, but I do think that just – like you said, I mean, it could be something very reminiscent to Lob City, and I think that, especially if they would have, especially considering the pieces that they had around this time, things could have been very, very exciting. I don't know how they probably wouldn't have gotten Lonzo Ball if that was the case, just because they would already have their point guard, but or at least the point guard of the future. But I think it would have been a great matchup, and now I'm enjoying watching them go against each other. You know, not this season, but in general. But speaking of excitement for returns, Tyreek Evans, I know one of your all-time favorite Memphis Tigers, has been reinstated by the NBA for the first time since he was banned from the NBA in 2019 for violating the NBA's drug policy. As we all know, while Tyreek Evans may not be um, a premier starter, he still is a bucket. The last time he played, he averaged 10.2 points in an average of 20.3 minutes per game back for the Pacers during the 2018-2019 season. So, believable or buffoonery, Tyreek Evans will be signed to a team before the season ends.
1: I'm going to, the fan in me, I'm going to say believable simply because I think that we are he still looks like he's a capable player, and I think that the thing that's going to happen is some teams are going to need some depth at certain positions, and especially between guard to small forward, because he can play one of the three of those positions, and they might give him a look. It might end up being like a 10-day and very similar to what's going on with Isaiah Thomas, but I do think that he's going to get a shot in the NBA at some point
0: this season. He's definitely going to get some workouts from teams. And if they – I mean, you remember – I remember the video that you sent me of him and John Wall working out together. And I think that especially teams that are really desperate for shooters off of the bench, I think that they would really give him a look, give, like you said, just a 10-day or something. So I find it believable. I think that especially down the stretch, unfortunately, injuries are going to happen. So teams are going to be more persistent in trying to bring in players to help change the guard. And I think that Tyreek Evans, if he has his head on straight, could be one of those players for a respective team. All right, another question. I mean... Anthony Davis, not exactly the season that he hoped for, but, I mean, every Laker could say that this year. But it got to the point where Stephen A. Smith this week said, if the Lakers want a future, they might need to move AD or at least explore the market. Anthony Davis this season Davis has been solid, but injuries have been persistent. Just last night, um, AD went down with a right ankle injury. Luckily, x-rays came back negative And he's expected to receive treatment over the All Star break, and he may be evaluated, reevaluated when the team returns from the break. But believable or buffoonery, the Lakers need to explore life outside of Anthony Davis.
1: Um, I think they should. Yeah, I think they should listen, take a couple of listens. I think you won't hurt. And the reason is is because. A.D. had the same thing as played to him in New Orleans. It's played to him with the Lakers. His inability to stay healthy. And, like, I think that's something that you can't – because when they initially brought A.D. in, me and you both said that they, we thought that was a good signing simply because you can have A.D. as the star for your future after LeBron retires or leaves the Lakers or whatever he does. But given now that we've seen that his – Injury history still continue. I think that that might plague them because, and that they, they need to, like he said, look. Because if you can find some, pe- if you can get some pieces or some draft picks, and you can bring in somebody that can still be a a good a good piece, and they're healthy, I think that's better than having a guy that's inconsistent because of health.
0: And, I mean, you and I say talk about it all the time. The best ability any athlete can have is availability. It's one thing for you not to be available, but LeBron is healthy because at least the Lakers know that they can fall back on LeBron. But let's say LeBron retires, LeBron leaves, and then AD has gone. If they don't have necessary pieces around them, it could just pretty much be like how the Pelicans were when he was there. You're not really going to win many games. You're relying on these other players who can't really step up or aren't stepping up, and you're just finding yourself back at square one. And then it begs the question of do they feel like they can get, remain in championship contention with just AD as their star player? And right now, I mean, with his injury problems, I don't know if you can. And so, yeah, I would definitely look. I My first instinct would not be to trade AD, but I would listen to offers. I would see what other teams were talking about. But I think that if his injury history persists, I don't think your return is going to get much better I don't think it's going to be something extravagant especially because I mean he is getting older and if he continues to have these in these nagging injuries throughout the year who's to say that teams are still going to give a king's ransom for him anymore like they would have a couple of years back but all right let's go ahead move on to all-star weekend and make some predictions for the events. starting off with the three-point contest that is going to include Zach Levine, Desmond Bain, Carl Anthony Towns, Fred Van Vliet, C.J. McCullum, Luke Kennard, Patty Mills, and Trey Young. This is tough, but I think I'm going to go with the bit of a dark horse. I don't even know if I can call him a dark horse. I'm going Fred VanVleet to win.
1: I'm going Desmond Bang. I know I'm a homer, but I'm going Bang
0: understandable i hope for your sake he does win that'd be cool moving on to the nba skills challenge what they changed to make teams of three team one is team onto the kumpo which is going to include Giannis, then and alex next is going to be team cleveland which includes jared allen darius garland and eric mobley and then there's team rookie that's going to include scotty barnes kay cunningham and josh giddy i'm i'm leaning towards team you know what? I'm gonna throw the rookies a bone. I'm gonna say Team Rookie pulls it out. Uh, I
1: think I'm gonna go team Cleveland.
0: That was a very that was a very close second for me. All right, moving on to what we all came here for. The All Star Game. We have Team Durant, who we all know LeBron is I mean not LeBron. Uh KD is not going to be playing, but his starters are Joel Embiid, Ja Morant, Jason Tatum, Andrew Wiggins, and Trey Young. He also has Lamella Ball, Devin Booker, Rudy Gobert. Draymond Green will not be participating. Um, He was replaced. Who replaced Draymond? DeJounte, I think. Yeah, DeJounte Murray. Yeah, yeah DeJounte Murray. Um, Zach Levine, Chris Middleton. Wait. Yeah, Chris Middleton and Carl Anthony Towns. Um, for Team LeBron, his starters are of course himself, Giannis Antetokounmpo, DeCumpo, Steph- I mean Steph Curry, DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Jokic, and his bench is gonna be Jimmy Butler, Luka Dunchik, Darius Garland, James Harden will not be participating. He's gotten replaced by Jared Allen, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Fred Van Vliet. Who are you rocking with Team LeBron or Team K D?
1: So I wanna say team K D because of Ja but Team LeBron is rostered stat.
0: Yeah, I feel that. You don't you can't be a homer twice as much as you wanna be. Yeah, I would go especially with how we've seen I mean, we just talked about it. Jamar has been playing lights out, Nicola is playing lights out, you get Luca, E Fred, yeah, it's yeah, I'm going Team LeBron too. Either way I think it's gonna be shaping up for a great all star weekend. And I'm excited for it. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the WWE. And all right now it is time to give my elimination chamber 2022 predictions congratulations wwe you finally got me to watch a pay-per-view held in saudi arabia as you all know elimination chamber this year is going to be taking place in saudi arabia arabia this year which means that it's going to be open to a whole new audience including myself so here are my predictions starting off with Rey mysterio versus the miz I would like to see the Miz win, but I think Rey Mysterio ends up pulling it out because I think so far the Mysterio seem to be getting the better of the Miz in this feud. But I think that getting one solidifying match will really do it for him. Moving on to Naomi and Ronda Rousey versus Sonya Deville and Charlotte Flair. Now, while you guys know how much I love the Queen. I think that they're not going to have Ronda lose leading up to WrestleMania, unfortunately. So, Naomi and Ronda are going to win. I just wish that it would be Naomi getting the pin and or submission, but we all know it's going to end up being Ronda. Moving on to the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Speaking of Naomi, her husband Jimmy Uso and his brother Jay, aka The Usos, we are taking on the Viking Raiders, who I had forgotten were a thing for a while, once again. I haven't watched SmackDown in a long time, but I got the Usos. I don't really know what this feud entails, but these are two great tag teams, so I'm sure it's going to be a very good match. Uh, Moving on to the Raw Women's Championship between Becky Lynch and Lita. I mean, I've never been the biggest Lita fan, so I'm not as excited about this match as a lot of other people are. And then in terms of Becky being champion right now, I don't see them pulling pulling the belt off of her until Mania. So – Unfortunately for non Becky fans and for the nostalgia freaks who want Lita to win, I think Becky retains. Speaking of retaining Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending his title against Goldberg. I mean, when you got nobody else to throw Roman's way, might as well go Goldberg, right? Um, either way, Roman's gonna win. It makes no sense for Goldberg to win, honestly. I just can't wait till he doesn't show up anymore because he's not necessary i would much rather see a match with somebody who's presently on the roster a la Big E. but you know it's asking for a whole lot all right moving on to the elimination chamber matches what we came here for or at least what i'm coming for uh first starting off with the raw women's championship number one contender uh, elimination chamber match which is going to include nikki ash dodrop aka piper niven rhea ripley liv morgan bianca belair and the returning Alexa Bliss. While I could see the returning Alexa Bliss ending up Pulling it out, I'm gonna go Rhea. Like I wasn't able to watch the full gauntlet match, but I mean, she lasted over 44 minutes and she continued to show time and time again why she's one of the strongest female performers. You know, scratch that, strongest performers on all of Raw. I know that Bianca ended up winning the match, so she's gonna be the final entrant. But I do think that with all the strong performances Rhea has gotten lately, I think it's about time that she's in the Raw Women's Championship picture, and this could be a great jump off for that. And hopefully, fingers crossed, she will beat Becky at mania but she's got to get through saturday first and then moving on to the elimination chamber match for the wwe championship bobby lashley will be retaining i'm defending his title against brock lesnar seth rollins aj styles matt riddle and austin theory i know that popular and conventional wisdom would say brock lesnar to set up the title for title match at mania with roman but personally i just don't think it really makes sense to do that right now The brand split is still very much so a thing. I don't think that either Fox or USA Today is trying to really change that. And so because of that, I think that somehow, some sort of way, Brock is going to lose, whether it be the Usos or Roman messing him up or Paul Heyman distracting him. Either way, I don't see Brock winning. Instead, I see Bobby Lashley actually retaining, and he gets a great one-on-one match at WrestleMania against who? I actually think it's going to be him and Seth that Mania. Seth is going to probably end up winning the championship. But once again, we're, we're getting a, fee, a bit ahead of ourselves. We have to worry about Saturday first. But those are my predictions for Elimination Chamber 2022. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out TheExport.net. Our the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours, truly and fellow Export writers. Previous episodes are our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. But yeah, thanks so much for listening isn't it great to have ethan back he's not on this part but you know i'm sure you enjoy having ethan back on the show i know i did you know something else that you'll enjoy reading my most recent mock draft see how i tied that in there be sure to check that out at the and thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you all next time